This podcast is recorded in front of a live studio audience at Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. Hi, this is Anna, and you're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast with Joe and Matt. Welcome to episode 75 of THN. We are so excited about this show. We are doing it twice and talking about the nerd news for this week, the week of Wednesday, July 18th reading your answers to the question of the week. We posted on Facebook and Twitter last night. My name is Matt Baum, at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. And when I'm not having dental surgery to get access to the painkillers I need to push Scott Lobdell's Tim Drake was never Robin announcement out of my head, I'm writing about and appraising ComicSportsPoint.com. Ladies and gentlemen, we had a little power flash. We are, in fact, recording this whole damn episode again. Take two. <laughs> and I'm Joe Patrick. At Joe Patrick 116 on Twitter, and when I'm not enabling my co-host's drug abuse by informing him of news like Lobdell's lunatic claims, because not only do his uninformed rants make me look smarter, but they're also great for ratings. I'm the manager of Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. Tim Drake appeared as Robin in a panel of Teen Titans number one, written by Scott Lobdell, as I, you pronounce it. I don't know what to tell you. This week we'll hear reviews of G.I. Joe, Danger Girl number one, and Captain Marvel number one. After that, we'll review ten comics faster than DC editorial can write a character's entire life out of continuity during the ludicrous speed round and then we'll pay a visit to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to discuss the future of next week's comics and finally we'll take an in-depth look at DC's Batman Earth 1 as part of this month's take a look it's in a book segment but before we get to all the hair pulling and eye gouging let's take a moment to explain that neither of us saw the Dark Knight Rises yet and we will not be discussing it on this show but rest assured we will tell you exactly how you should feel about it next week and now let's talk about the big news Last weekend at Comic-Con, Marvel unveiled a teaser for the upcoming Marvel Now Point One issue, which featured Nick Fury Jr. and five blacked-out images. Now the picture is becoming more clear. Marvel has revealed one of the mystery images every day this week, starting on Monday with Cable, and followed by Nova, Ant-Man, a trio of young heroes including Wiccan, Kid Loki, and Miss America Chavez from Joe Casey's <laughs> Vengeance series. And finally, Star-Lord. Last year's point one one-shot set up several stories and series, so it is a safe bet that these new stories will tie in to some of the as-yet-unannounced Marvel Now relaunch titles. I really like looking at a point one one-shot. <laughs> point one one-shot. <laughs> Written down. That's kind of fun. Given some of the creators involved, the teasers give credence to some of the rumors that have been swirling, like a new Nova series from Jeff Loeb and Ed McGinnis, and an Ant-Man book by Nick Spencer. Tell me, Matt, do any of these potential titles get your juices flowing? And did you ever think we'd see the return of Miss America Chavez? I forgot who Miss America Chavez was, and I read that series. And I can't remember if she married America and her last name is hyphenated or what the deal was there. It's a very interesting choice, though. <laughs> America hyphen Chavez. <laughs> yeah, you know, she didn't want to lose you know, her family name. Uh, Ant-Man by Nick Spencer. That could be totally awesome. And if really Mike Alred is doing it with them, yes. that would be totally kick-ass, and it would lend even more credence to them showing the Ant-Man test footage at Comic-Con last weekend. It all comes together. It's all coming together! I am not stoked at the notion of a Jeff Loeb, Ed McGinnis, Nova series. I barely care. Because you know that it's not our Nova. It's not Rich Rider. And, and I don't get it. Why can't it be Rich Rider? What do they have against him? I don't know. He didn't even die. Star-Lord is, like, for all we know, intents and purposes, dead. No, he's back. I know, but because he's back, then Rich should be back because Rich stayed with him. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Some of us pay attention. Not too excited about a new Cable book, but whatever. The idea, though, of this new series with the young heroes, if this is a new kind of revival of the Young Avengers, that might be cool. And if you recall last week... It's Kieran Gillen, right? 
Maybe. There's no oh, like okay. guarantee yet. If you remember last week, we mentioned that they hinted at a series that will also feature some of the old characters from Runaways. Yeah, so maybe yeah. this is like a new team All book. the kids. I think that sounds pretty fun. As long as they call it Marvel Rugrats. It looks like the socialist Hollywood elite is pushing its liberal agenda on God-fearing comic book fans once again. According to an article in the Washington Examiner, quote, This summer's much-anticipated Hollywood blockbuster, The Dark Knight Rises, is getting an unusual boost from Democrats and other foes of Mitt Romney who are eager to tie the Gotham-crushing villain to the GOP presidential candidate. Of course, the examiner's referring to Bain Capital. Get it? And the controversy surrounding Mitt Romney's connection to the organization that wears a giant mask and talks like Dracula. But But wait, (laughs) it gets better. But wait, it gets better. (laughs) I am Gotham Trickening. Conservative gasbag Rush Limbaugh took the story and ran with it on his radio show saying, quote, A lot of people are going to see the movie and uh, a lot of brain dead people. The thought is when they start paying attention to the campaign later this year and Obama and the Democrats keep talking about Bane, Romney and Bane, that these people will think back to the Batman movie. Oh, yeah, I know who that is. The bad guy. Right-thinking comic fans will remember, of course, that the character Bane was created decades before the recent political controversy by Chuck Dixon and Graham Nolan, both staunch conservatives. And when asked about this quote-unquote scandal, Chuck Dixon said, quote, that's ridiculous. Because it is ridiculous. It's completely ridiculous. Talk about slow news week, but when Rush and the Washington Examiner, which is really just a conservative melt piece, the stuff that they throw out is super right-wing, lunatic, conservative, like, just fan fiction almost. When they've got to reach <laughs> this deep to get something, I mean, that is just sad. I'll give you Romney work for a place called Bane Capital, and the main bad guy in the Batman movie's name is Bane. But dear God. It's not even spelled the same. I know. Give me a break. You really think people are going to be like, that is who Mitt Romney worked for? (laughs) The guy that rips wings off planes? You know know, all of the brain dead people that will be seeing the Dark Knight Rises this week. God. And finally, we're used to seeing Kickstarter used to raise funds to finance self-published indie comics. But now, established creators that already have publishing deals and even the publishers themselves are getting in on the act. A couple of weeks ago, Top Cow announced plans to bring back their flagship title, Cyberforce. It's about damn time. Rather than publish the book in the usual manner, Top Cow is hoping to give the first five issues of the series away for free in both digital and in print, and is using Kickstarter in an attempt to cover the costs. Before we go on, quick, name as many Cyberforce members as you can. Ripclaw. Velocity. Striker. Ballistic. Heatwave. Who's Heatwave? Heatwave was the guy that fired hot lasers out of his hand. Impact. Oh, nice job. He was the big guy. I think that's actually all of them. I think that's it. (laughs) I think we just did it. We did it. Cyber Force Avalanche. Very nice. (laughs) In an interview with Comic Book Resources, Top Cow President Matt Hawkins said, quote, We've tried giving away free comics to induce people to start reading for almost 10 years now with scattered results. Former Top Cow publisher Philip Sablick and I spent a lot of time talking about how we needed to get people to get into the habit of reading comics and how, specifically, to convert free to paid or free to continue reading through ad-based or however. The long story short is we've decided to try something new. Meanwhile, former Batwoman artist Amy Reeder and writer Brandon Montclair have launched a Kickstarter program of their own, hoping to fund production of their 40-page humor-slash-horror one-shot Halloween Eve about a costume shop employee that has to deal with costumes and props coming to life. The catch here is that Reader and Montclair already have a publication deal in place with Image Comics. However, Image doesn't pay upfront costs for creator-owned books, 
meaning that the cost of actually producing the book falls solely on the creators. Now, of course, this isn't the first time well-known creators have taken the crowdfunding route to get books made, and it looks like Kickstarter has already changed the game for independent comics. What do you think, Matt? I think it's awesome on both counts. I love the idea by Top Cow, putting free comics in people's hands. I'm totally. A big, I'm a big fan of Vertigo when they do the $1 first issue, and I think $1 first issue should be company-wide. Every first issue that comes out should either be free or a dollar. I get it. Top Cow can't afford to give away free comics. It's a good way for them to make the money to put comics in people's hands. And you know what? I donated to this. It's a good thing. It's yeah. a great idea. And they plan to sell to retailers at like a free comic book day level price. Right, like a dime so like or whatever. A, yeah, quarter probably. And I get it. Retailers can make buy... some money on their shipping and whatnot. That yeah. makes perfect sense. The reader thing, I get that too. Basically, Image is the other half of this. Image, you bring them the finished product and they distribute it for you. You make money on the back end. But just like you said in the news story, how do you raise that initial money? Right. Kickstarter is the perfect way to do that. And if it's good, Image has even less at stake here because they can look and say it was fully funded by X amount of people. you got a built-in audience there who's already going to tell people about it. You really want to pump this up. I hope they print every single one of their names in the back of the comic. Special thanks to... You know, in a lot of Jimmy those, A, Joey B, Jerry C, in a lot of those Kickstarter girls too, projects, Stephanie they, B. <laughs> they do do that. Yeah, I mean, that's awesome. I think this is just totally awesome. And I think, honestly, this is where independent comics go and how they win. I agree. That's the big news this week. And if you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, hit us up on our Facebook page. We'll have the full details of our own Kickstarter campaign posted where donors can rest assured their donations will not only send us to all of the conventions we've been meaning to hit, but also get us stinking drunk and we'll make for a hilarious scene at this year's Heroes Con when I hold Scott Lobdell's arms behind his back and let Chuck Dixon mess up that pretty face of his. Rats. Speaking of Kickstarter, Joe Patrick, tell these fools about the question of the week. Last night on Facebook and Twitter, I posted the question, what comic projects have you supported through Kickstarter? What drew you in, the content, or the creators involved? Our first response came from Harvey Locust, who says, none thus far. Creepy name, Harvey. <laughs> Not his real name. I have a hard enough time supporting as many titles as I do now. Which is a fair That's point. Fair. And I if you're on a budget, it's hard to sure. find that extra money. And a lot of them do have minimum donations. It's not like you can just throw a dollar at all of these. Some not of all have of a minimum them, yeah. donation of five bucks or ten bucks. You know? Right, right. That's a fair point. Our buddy Kush at the Pixelated Sausage Podcast says he's just supported one footprints by Joey Esposito and Jonathan Moore. Esposito contacted me and asked if I'd check out the first issue. I did, and I enjoyed it, so I backed it. Having an actual completed issue went a long way in showing me what to expect and that they'd actually come through. It was also how I found out Kickstarter ever existed How in is the first Kush place. getting p creators to contact him? We've got no creators contacting us. You should see how many Twitter followers that Dear guy has. Dear creators, I have a podcast on the internet. Maybe you've heard of me. Hey, Kush has I'm a website and nerd. a podcast. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. He's a lot more professional than that. Totally professional. It's review time again, where each week Joe and I pick two of the week's new comics that mysteriously swam ashore this past Wednesday and either haul them back out to sea to set them free or let them roast on the beach under the hot summer sun. Joe, tell these nerds what you read this week. My pick of the week was Danger Girl G.I. Joe number one from IDW, written by Andy Hartnell with art by John Royal. Here's your solicit. Andy Hartnell, co-Danger Girl creator. 
There you have it. <laughs> the two most incredible covert action teams the world has ever known, so covert in fact that neither knows the other exists, Dag. are meeting for the first time ever. That's where I should have dropped in Dag. Dag, yo. <laughs> Repeat, Danger Girl and G.I. Joe together. Spies, girls, ninjas, Cobra. If your head did not just explode, then you are one of the lucky few remaining that will live to enjoy a summer blockbuster you'll have to see to believe. Best solicit ever. That's how you write a f***ing solicit. Boosh. I just cussed big time right there. Don't worry, I'll bleep that. Okay. I make a mental note. <laughs> now, I have not read a Danger Girl comic since 1998, so I was a little concerned that I'd be lost in the rich, deep Danger Girl lore <laughs> that has surely accumulated over the past Don't 14 years. Don't get me started years. on Danger Girl continuity, man. Oh, my God. <laughs> Luckily, there was no need to worry. Everything you need to know to enjoy this book can be found right inside. And I can't believe I'm actually saying this, but it was really enjoyable. It actually was an excellent jumping on point. I, I just like... <laughs> it really was. I am shocked at, at my own opinion. We have Flint and Scarlet on the run. They go down behind enemy lines, and the president forbids the Joes from mounting a rescue. They go down after a, a big, like, firefight. Uh, right, yeah, they're in the air, it's a dogfight, and they get shot down. An old friend of Cover Girls, one Johnny Barracuda. A Danger Girl character. Yes. Refers the Joes to... I think to, it's Bakaruda. Johnny Bakaruda. <laughs> refers the Joes to the Danger Girls, an all-female team of spies that's sort of like Charlie's Angels, if the Angels were Bond Girls and Sean Connery was Bosley. <laughs> This book was just fun. It's old school fun. It's full of big, explosive action, and I really enjoyed reading it. Uh, the art is okay. The yeah. art is okay. It was a John J. Scott Campbell drew it, right? John Royal is doing his very, very oh, best J. Scott wasn't. Campbell impersonation. Oh, but it's pretty inoffensive. There was nothing that stood out as wrong to me. It no. all read really well. His paneling was very good. Yep, and the cartoony style fits the tone to a T. This was a light, fast read, and I really had no complaints with it. It was a good time. That said, there wasn't anything about it that really blew me away. No. Ultimately, this is the equivalent of a good popcorn movie. It's all flash, very little substance, no offense, guys, and that's okay. The creative team did its job well, and I, I really am legitimately looking forward to the next issue. I'm giving it a buy it, but I'd be lying if I said it was essential reading However, if it's a light week for you and you're in the market for something goofy and fun, I would say pick this book up. I had a ton of fun reading it. Yeah, I got to agree. Uh, years ago, a good friend of mine, Ali Blaha, I don't know if he listens to the show or not, he was talking about summer blockbusters and how they can only be measured on a scale of awesome to fucking awesome. <laughs> this comic book was fucking awesome on that scale. Oh, wow. I don't like, know about that. <laughs> no, like in the sense, like Armageddon, you know, was awesome <laughs> you know what i mean it's not a masterpiece of american cinema this is not a masterpiece of american comic books the fact that i could say anything good about it totally blows me away i know but this was fun it was a quick read it was fun danger girl works really well in the cartoony gi joe kind of world the art although it was a j scott campbell impersonation was not bad this guy did a good job on the action scenes the characters looked very cartoony. This felt like the old G.I. Joe cartoon to me. I wish the G.I. Joe movies were more like this. <laughs> I'm giving it a buy it. All right. Matt, what did you read this week? This week I read Captain Marvel number one, written by Kelly Sue DeConnick with art by Dexter Soy. Here's your solicit from the creative team of fan favorite writer Kelly Sue DeConnick and rising star artist Dexter Soy. Carol Danvers suits up to tackle a threat only she can handle. Earth's mightiest hero has a new name, a new mission. Her identity, Chris. And all the power she needs to make her life a living hell. 
Okay, now after reading the solicit, I had no idea what to expect here, but I have a feeling the person that wrote the solicit also did not read this comic. <laughs> I thought we'd get some well-written girl angst from DeConnick, who has been doing fantastic work lately, and we do. This is a well-written story, but it took a turn that I didn't see coming. The opening fight scene with Carol and Cap beating on the Absorbing Man was quick, it was witty, it was a lot of fun, it really demonstrated the chemistry between Cap and Cap and Cap, I guess. The two Caps. <laughs> Both being ex-military. There was a fun jab where the uh, the Absorbing Man wanted to go touch moon rocks because he thought it would give him <laughs> moon powers <laughs> for some reason. Best. And they're making fun of how stupid he is. The art stuck out at me a little bit at first. It had this very extreme kind of Street Fighter video game manga feel to it. But it worked in the action scenes. I didn't have a lot of problems with it. And I got to give Marvel credit for giving a guy like Dexter Soy a chance on a book like this. It's not an obvious choice. And you'll see when you open the book. After reading the opening, I was pleased. But then the story, it takes this turn and it moves to a lot of discussion and almost gets kind of lost in this introspection of whether or not Carol should take the name Captain Marvel as her new name. She's sort of hemming and hawing on it. Captain America is telling her, you've got to do it. You have a history with Captain Marvel. He wanted you to have the name. And I don't mind that. I, I'd like to see that. It develops the character a little bit, but I feel like it went on a little too long. And then from there, they launch straight from that argument into this his, historic... Well, from there... We are introduced to a friend of Carol's who she is looking after, who has cancer and has been taking an unnamed cancer. And it's not important. She has chemo and Carol's talking with her. And then we instantly go into this flashback where we meet another character named Cobb, who was a World War II test pilot that influenced Carol in becoming a pilot. This is sort of the her secret Hal Jordan background. Right. Which we knew she was a pilot, but they never really fleshed was it, it out. Was it World War II? I think, yeah. because she. Yeah, it was... It was right after World War II because they were talking about the space race and John Glenn and all oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, She yeah. was right there Oh, yeah, because she was in like Mercury right. 11 she or Mercury She was part of the Mercury program. And it just seemed to get lost in this character that I really don't know anything about and didn't so much care about. And the letterer did this thing where Cobb, while we're seeing the flashback, we're sort of reading her epitaph, I guess, because when we come back to the future, we see Carol spreading Cobb's ashes in outer space. And in the flashback, she was sort of, maybe it was a letter that was written to Carol before Cobb dies. I don't know, but it sort of just like really muddied the waters of what was going on in the flashback. And it didn't work for me. And to tell you the truth, I didn't even realize it until I talked to Joe. I thought the character in the present that had cancer was the same character in the flashback. They are almost this, identical. Because the way Dexter Soy drew them, they both had this gray kind of spiky hair. They were all skinny old women. And, and like there was almost no separation. I could not separate the two. It it did to in Kelly Sue's defense, it did actually give the present day character a specific name. Right. But the art is such a striking visual that they like when you see them from one page to another and they look almost identical it's really easy my brain just did mistake. not even think about it and it's literally on the next page yeah. so they melded into each other so and that's a falling down in dexter soy that is not kelly sudaconic's problem and like i said this is not a poorly written book it's very well written i just don't see what the hook here i, I don't see what the mission statement of the book is there was i needed no, more yeah i agree there was no 
driving force. Right. There was no cap coming to Carol and saying, look, you're the only person that can do X, so you better become Captain Marvel and do it, you know? Yes. Um, She's just having this identity crisis and sort of reflecting on her past. But the identity crisis ends after, like, the after the midpoint. I guess. And then the second half of the book, I agree, there's no forward momentum. Right. It just kind of trails off into this flashback. And then the end of the book basically tells you what's coming next, which is more of this person we mentioned in the flashback. Something about time travel. Yeah, and possibly time travel. I just, I think maybe it would have been better served if the whole issue was about her struggle with her identity. Maybe. And then... Number two is part one of... Or perhaps you flesh this out over a six-issue story where she's dealing with these identity things and there's more action and more direction going on. There's just... No, if I'm a new reader, there's nothing here to pull me into the next issue. And I gotta say, Dexter Soy's art, when he's not drawing action, is bad. When he's drawing people having a conversation, when he's drawing people drinking coffee, it just does not work. It's flat. It's, it, the paneling is not very good. It ruined the story for me. It just didn't work at all. I can only give this a skim it. I liked it a little bit more than you. Uh, like, I really enjoyed the dialogue. I liked uh, the scenes with Cap and, and Carol. And Spider-Man pops in there for a minute as well. And I just, she's got a firm handle on the voices of all those characters. The Absorbing Man thing was hilarious. That was that was cute, yeah. And I agree, though. The art it's troubling. It's not even that his art is bad. I just don't know if it's a good fit for this kind of book. It just doesn't work here. And I, I agree that there was no push to get me interested in the second issue. I'm already interested because I like... I'm going to give it four I issues. I like Carol Danvers. I'm giving it four issues. I like Carol Danvers. I like Kelly Sue DeConnick. Yeah. I think she's probably on to something, but man, it's this art distracting. It, it, was, it was a difficult issue. I'm giving it a buy it because I think it's worth following at least for a while. By issue four, I might feel differently. Yeah. But for now, I'm going to continue to check it out. Somewhere in hypertime is the long-lost 20-minute argument that Matt and I had the first time <laughs> we recorded this episode. As always, we want to know what you double agents and reinvented super babes thought of these comics, so let us know how mindless and murky our reviews were over at our Facebook page. Ladies and gentlemen, with the Olympics but a week away... Joe and I wanted to plead with the Olympic Committee one more time to please reconsider including speed reviewing as an exhibition sport in this year's Summer Olympics. Much like Emmett Smith, who led a failed attempt to bring American football to the Olympics, we too are currently at the top of our game and see no reason why we shouldn't be able to test our medal against other nerds on an international stage. And now, for the Olympic Committee's approval, we present... The Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed! Go! Avengers vs. X-Men, number eight, Marvel! The series is so frustrating with its ups and downs in quality. With a million writers, there's no consistent voice, and the art is all over the place. Yeah, I keep telling people that they should be reading this because it's fun, but it's hard to defend it when every other issue is totally weird. Well, at issue eight now, I'm really feeling this is filler. the bloat. This is filler. This particular issue is not bad on its own, but, but in general, the book is really starting to feel drawn out, Yeah, and the tie-ins are still better than the main Way series. Way better. Seriously, how many times are the Avengers going to try to punch the Phoenix really hard in the face before they decide not to bother? To be fair, I think they kick at this issue. <laughs> Jonathan Hickman should have written this whole thing, and it needed to be about four issues shorter. Yeah. I'm giving it a skim it. 
Batwoman, number 11 from DC. Batwoman is still a fun read, and artist Trevor McCarthy does an excellent job here filling in after Amy Reader's sudden departure from the comic. My only complaint that the writers can't seem to finish a thought. I get it. This is a monthly title, and it's meant to continue, but there hasn't been much in the way of closure in any Batwoman story as of yet. I still like it. It's a nice supernatural balance to the regular Batman story. I'm giving it a buy it. BPRD, Hell on Earth, The Devil's Engine, number three from Dark Horse. That is a long title. It's a long title. It's been a while since we've talked about BPRD on the show, but it is as great as ever. This series, in particular, has dealt with Agent Devin as he tries to make his way back home with Phoenix, the psychic teenage girl that shot my boy Ip Sapien. Spoiler. Spoiler. Sorry, that was a year ago. Hellboy is dead, too. Oh, I never thought I'd get used to somebody other than Guy Davis drawing this series, but Tyler Crook is awesome. Tyler Crook is totally awesome. I'm giving it a buy it. Nice guy, too. Met him at C2E. Hey, Finding Gossamer, number one from Third World Studios. It's another high-concept, high-quality story from Third World. This is the story of Denny, a young autistic boy with the ability to solve any math equation. His sister has been raising him, and I'm not really clear why, where mom and dad are. He's on the phone at one point with mom. I assume they'll flesh that out later. But sister wants to study abroad in Sydney, Australia. So signs her brother up for a very special school where entry centers around solving an unsolvable math equation that opens a gate to a different world. Whoa! Really good art here. has this very kind of classic animation feel. It did get a little too soft focus in some panels, but I'm on board. I like it. I think it's an all-ages book, so you can read it to your kids. Also, I think first autistic character in comics, question mark? I'm not mm, sure. Maybe first autistic lead character. Could be. Tell me if I'm wrong. Buy it. Unwritten number 39, DC slash Vertigo. This is another series that I was behind on and did a marathon read to catch up, and I am so glad I did. The big epic that propelled the first 36 issues is over, and the Unwritten shows no signs of slowing down. Though I have to admit, it reads a whole lot better in large chunks than it did in single installments. This may be a better experience in trade form, but however you choose to do it, buy it. Star Trek number 11 from IDW. Uh, Writer Mike Johnson gives us part one of the truth about Tribbles. Artist Claudia Balboni, who worked on Infestation and True Blood, also for IDW. She does fantastic work here. Not just in photo referencing the actors from the movie, but doing a good job of separating everyone once they have like space helmets on and stuff like this. This is revisiting the original Tribble story. It's a lot of fun. This comic has filled the void in my life where a Trek TV series used to live. Buy this. I love it. Fantastic Four, number 608 from Marvel. I will be so, so sad when Hickman leaves his book. It's true. I think the smaller stories have been even better than the huge cosmic epic that he built to uh, that preceded them. I'm not going to go that far. I don't know, man. This issue restores the real Black Panther to his proper level of badassery. Now, please give him a series we can read monthly. Yes. And the art by Giuseppe Camincoli and Carl Kessel is really, really, really great. I'm giving it a huge buy it. And bring back Christopher Priest to write it. Oh, Christopher Priest. He's out there. He lives in Colorado. That's right. Invincible Iron Man number 521 from Marvel. Writer Matt Fraction takes us into the near future where Tony Stark is given into the Mandarin and now works for him trying to build the Titanomechs that we have saw. I think it was back in Iron Man Annual. I can't remember. Same ones Ezekiel Stane was trying to build but couldn't. I just caught up on the last three issues of Iron Man. I fell behind. It is still completely excellent. There's this very quippy Aaron Sorkin-like dialogue here. There's some really fun stuff going on. I love how evil Matt Fraction's Mandarin is. Bad news, Marvel. He's an Asian guy. Someone might want to tell <laughs> Sir Ben Kingsley. <laughs> Buy this. Justice League number 11 from DC. I don't know what more can be said about this comic that we haven't said 10 times before. It's like we keep thinking that it's going to, oh, this is the one. Maybe this is the one. They fixed it. There's a spark missing here, and this book just suffers because of it. Yeah. There's just, 
it's like it's almost lifeless, even though it's full of action. The art continues to be inconsistent, super inconsistent. Most notably evidenced by Wonder Woman's totally rad mullet this month. <laughs> the Shazam backups, though, are almost worth the price of the book on their own. But I'm sorry, Justice League. I'm bumping you down to a skimmit. I'm saying Shazam, the only character that is being properly fleshed out in the new DCU right now. Probably an overstatement, but whatever. Hellblazer, number 293, also from DC slash Vertigo. John Constantine is hired by the police to investigate a murder with supernatural twist, and the murderer just might be his nephew. What? I, I haven't read a Hellblazer comic since we reviewed the annual last year, and I fell right back into this. Peter Milligan does an excellent job writing this book. Communicoli is just so fantastic at what he does. Everybody should be reading Hellblazer. It's creepy, it's gross, it's wonderful. Buy it. Katang! That is your Lucrative Speed Round, and Katang is the sound Cap Shield makes when it's bouncing off King Namor's jaw, as seen in this week's bloated issue of Avengers <laughs> vs. X-Men Round 8, the filler issue. CBR gave it four and a half stars. It's because CBR is in That's a, retarded. They're on the take. <sighs> They're the Harry Knowles of <laughs> comic books. I actually like CBR. I'm going to rest my Harry Knowles on your face. If you don't, <laughs> you don't get with the program. Now, join us in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where Matt and I are sharing the rest of his Vicodin prescription and binging on all five seasons of The Wire with our buddy Harvey Bullock, who keeps telling us that other than the racism and constant cursing, police work is nothing like this. Shortly after the season three finale, Harvey produced a pile of next week's comics he seized from a suspect's car as evidence and allowed us to take a peek. Matt, tell these perps what looks good next week. I should mention I had a wisdom tooth pulled. It's funnier if they don't know that. I don't just go begging for drugs. If you followed me on Twitter, you'd know this. And I'm f***ing hilarious, so you should. Next week, I'll be reading Batman Incorporated number three. The first post-relaunch appearance of Matches Malone, Bruce Wayne's alter ego's alter ego, I guess. <laughs> He's a street-level scumbag kind of detective criminal that infiltrates the criminal elements to get the inside story of what's going on. And when Grant Morrison writes him, it is going to be wackadoo. You wait and see. I love Matches Malone. Joey, what are you reading? My pick for next week is also from DC Comics. National Comics Eternity Number One. What is with the National Comics by thing? Jeff Lemire and Cully Hamner? National Comics was a DC comic. I know the history. 40s. I know where it came from. Why are we doing it now? I don't know. They need a name. I don't get it. It's going to be a, a, a series of one-off issues, reintroducing characters to the New Fifty Two, starting with Kid Eternity. Jeff Lemire, come on, man! I totally want to read anything that, that guy. guy wants to do. I love that guy and Cully Hamner. I love him. It, this two thumbs up. I haven't even read it. Of course, we want to know what's confusing the hell out of you kids next week. So hit us up on our Facebook page. Shoot us a message on Twitter. Or, hey, send a guy an email every once in a while. Hey, yeah, we worry. Joe, before we move on, why don't you tell us more about what the nerds are saying about our question of the week? And as always, if you want to play, all you got to do is like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter, and you can play along. Aaron Myers, King of Ask a Nerd, of course, has backed it wouldn't every be a show Kickstarter without project. Aaron Myers, but he's going to get a production credit here soon. <laughs> In all seriousness, Aaron has uh, is a big supporter of indie uh, comics and has backed a number of them on Kickstarter. He says, all of them I backed because either A, someone whose opinion I trusted recommended it, B, it was being started by a team of creators that I enjoy, or C, the hype on the internet was so huge that I had to jump on board. 
it's important to note that Aaron also supported the Cyberforce Kickstarter. So all, those are all good reasons. That's right. Those are all real solid reasons. Our buddy John Luttrell over at the Burnt Wieners podcast says, I have backed books, films, and a few other projects through Kickstarter and Indiegogo, including Sullivan Sluggers, uh, The Dream Quest of Randolph Carter, an indie video game, and some other projects. What draws me in is a few things. I want the finished product at a reasonable price offered to me. I don't want to pay 15 to 30 bucks for a print and a PDF so their first issue can be made. You're right on, brother. If the thing is going to be six issues, you better be offering it to me in a collected format at a reasonable price. Don't get me wrong. I like prints and various other items, but too many projects rely on, quote, donation to the project rather than, quote, pre-ordering the product. Truth. And I totally agree. Truth. Uh, a, a huge, a huge draw, at least for me, would be, hey, make this donation and you will get the finished product. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Not usually how it works. Donate five bucks and thanks for donating. I think you'll find the ones that are most successful, like, send you a copy of whatever you're donating towards afterwards. I mean, come on. I, I think that is an absolutely great thing to look out for. Moving right along, it's time once again for Take a Look. It's in a book where Matt and I try to focus our attention long enough to read a book with more than 20 pages. Yeah, Joe picked one with like almost 60. (laughs) I think it was like (laughs) 96 pages. It was my turn to choose this month, and I picked Batman Earth 1 from DC Comics by Jeff Johns and Gary Frank. This volume gives a modern take on Batman's journey to become Batman and offers a different spin on some familiar supporting characters. Matt, what did you think? I hate to start a review of a book by talking about a different book, but I think we have to address Superman Earth One first, which was the initial launch into the bookstore market by DC. Because let's not kid ourselves. All they're really doing here is trying to launch a book that they can get on the you know New York Times bestseller list. Not so much like, That's hey, cynical. we want to reinvent Batman and Superman again. I got to say, Superman Earth One was pretty to look at. And the story was fine, but it didn't bring anything new to the table. And because of that, I'm going to say it failed in what it was trying to do. Batman Earth One, in my opinion, succeeded. Completely succeeded in the sense that when I put the book down, my first thought was, you know what? Had they restarted the DC Universe, had they really done what they should have done. from scratch. And completely restarted the DC Universe. If this is the origin of Batman that we have now... I would be fine with that. Yeah. That's how good this book was. They did some subtle things to characters we recognize that were so cool. This wasn't a completely reinvented Batman story. Yeah, I mean, on the, on the face of it, when you read it, you'll notice that there aren't that many huge sweeping no, changes. It's no. basically the origin we know. It was very with subtle. With some tweaks. There, there's some stuff that I don't want to spoil about certain characters. If anything... They updated a lot of stuff. Yes, make it's presented with a believable. modern take. And it's not a modern take in the sense that Superman wears a hoodie now. No. It's Which more in is, the sense like, is an unfair thing to say because that's not really what Superman is. The Waynes aren't like. just a black and white rich cover couple who were taking their children to the movie. Yeah, no, and actually, they're very active. Young Bruce Wayne was a little bit of a douchebag. He was a jerk. He was a rich little <laughs> prick. They were taking the rich little prick to see a movie. They were very active in the community. His father was running for mayor and stuff. Mother was donating money for schools and whatnot. Like, they were good, active citizens. And because of that, they were struck down for almost no reason. Just like the real Batman's parents. But the difference here is that Batman thinks that there is some kind of larger plot 
that he has to investigate. And we won't go into and whether or not. And that's kind of the driving point of the book at right. first. We won't go into whether or not there is, but the point being, it's a slight tweak on the Batman we know. And the Alfred character, oh. I think it's absolutely the biggest change that we see now. Here. We knew that our version of Alfred, the main version of Alfred, was a badass. He was he has sure. a history as like a as like a total tough guy fighting in wars, being a spy. They don't bring it up very often. This version of Alfred was like Liam Neeson as Alfred. <laughs> right. Like our Alfred like the Alfred as we know him in the regular DCU comes from a long history of butlers. Yes, you yes. Know? This Alfred was like super secret MI6 James Bond badass at one yeah. point it's who like, like knows how to torture people <laughs> like gets in a fight with bruce wayne in one part and i don't have any kicks money. the crap out of him but what i have is a very specific set of skills <laughs> and if you don't give me what i want i'll use them to be your butler <laughs> this is, i mean it was a slight tweak but i gotta say the alfred that they presented to us here is awesome was so interesting yep yep Ve- yep. like very very cool and it looks like alfred is going to go on to build Batman. Right. Like we see a young Batman here. Let's talk about that. I love the fact that this book starts off with Batman not really very good at his job. Yeah. He's got really crappy equipment. His costume looks shabby if you look at it. Yeah. And as the book progresses, it gets better. And he's very brash and yes. like prone to rushing into things yeah. and like not realizing that he's completely outnumbered. And, yes. I mean, and I love, I love stories that deal with the fact that Batman was not always the toughest guy in the right, room. Because he couldn't have been. Right. We had to, he had we, to come from somewhere. We had to see him become Batman. And this is him learning. This is like young, brash, very human Batman. Yes. Way more human than we have ever seen the character. Mm-hmm. It's him just so fired up about solving this crime, this alleged conspiracy, whether or not there is one. Uh, that he rushes in without thinking. And he, yeah, he loses track and of like the mission. At, at a certain point, he just realizes he's doing it wrong, and that's when we meet Lucius Fox. Right. And then it becomes kind of similar to the movie in that Lucius Fox helps him uh, become... Uh, well, build better tools. Build better whatever. tools, yeah. You know, and that's when we see him improving, and I just love that progression. Johns introduces a villain here. He's not the main villain of the book, but he's like a thug in the employee of the main villain of the book really? called Birthday Boy. Oh, my God. <laughs> the guys at the Panel Culture podcast thought he was kind of silly. I thought he was f***ing terrifying. I thought he was horrifying. <laughs> he was disgusting. There's a basement full of bodies, yeah. and Harvey Bullock uh, finds it, and it is like a nightmare scenario. Oh, What they did to Harvey Bullock, oh, speaking of which. It's crazy. It's so interesting. I don't even want to go in there. I want you guys to read it. and Because at first, it was a little upset. And then like, there was this a, is not my Harvey Bullock. There's a decisive sir. moment where I went, "Oh, I get it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> That's totally Harvey Bullock." And then, yeah, the the birthday boy, horrifying, horrifying. Yeah, we, kind of yeah, a goofy visual, but in this context, it became scary. Yeah, you just, you have to see it. And speaking of which, Gary Frank, holy smokes, there are very few artists that are working at the level that Gary Frank is working at. This was nothing short of amazing. Like beautiful to look at this was a phenomenal he is phenomenal so good. piece of art from gary frank and i, I gotta say i mean the, jeff johns and gary frank if i really mean this had they real had they done it right and just relaunched the dc universe i would be totally okay don't, with yeah, this is my batman don't get me wrong i love i adore scott snyder's batman i do too uh, but and you we were could, right but there's no reason they could not tell the story that's going on in scott snyder's batman in a relaunch make batman this story. the new batman year one yes but 
man, it was so good. Yeah, this and was wonderfully executed. There's a there's a appearance by Barbara Gordon and the hint of things to come there. Yeah. And then there's a uh, not a twist, but a surprise ending, like a surprise appearance on the last couple of pages that made me go, oh, wonderful. I can't wait. Uh, and I am excited. And I will give this to Batman Earth 1 I can't over believe Superman. they brought Orca into it. Orca. I can't believe they did that. <laughs> I am actually really excited. That was a joke, by the way. Yes. I'm really genuinely excited for more of this. I am too. I was not excited for more Superman Earth 1. And once again, DC has completely nailed the special thing that they're doing at the time. I wish they would focus this much attention on everything that it's they true. were doing. Uh, John's uh, gave the promise that Volume 2 will show him becoming the world's greatest detective. Very cool. I can't, Oh, I want to read that really Very badly. Very cool. But Batman Earth 1, they nailed it. It's beautiful. It's... I think it's... What is it? Like twenty one ninety nine or yeah. something? Yeah. Totally worth the price it, of admission. It's not very expensive. A beautiful hardcover. I'm giving it a huge buy it. Huge I buy loved it. it. Huge buy it for me as well. And I think this completely succeeded, like I said, where Superman Earth 1 fell down. Gigantic buy it for me. Go out and read this. It's not just another rehashed Batman origin. What's next month's book? Next month, we'll be reading Anthony Bourdain's Get Jiro graphic novel from Vertigo Comics. So go out and grab your copy now if you kids want to read along. Sort of break it, break it down like this. That is it for the you scott lobdell edition of the two-headed nerd if you love the chuck dixon slash fabian nicesia robin run of the 90s featuring tim drake as robin as much as i did you can subscribe to this show on itunes where your star ratings and short reviews could help us get into the itunes top 10 and i need this to happen if for no other reason it'll make the i fanboys boys take notice and give us a respect for due. i want you to subscribe even if, even if you're not that I big of a robin fan i just know that we are here I don't need their approval. Sons of bitches! <laughs> Huge thanks to all of our donors, and if you'd like to help keep us in do-rags and street cred, you can make your donation in any amount by clicking our donate button at twoheadednerd.com. Last week, we had our single largest week of downloads to date, and we want to say thanks. It's awesome. Thank you, nerds. And that if each one of you donated $1, we could cover our website hosting fees for the next two years. And get super high. Imagine. Imagine the Vicodin. I know. So, please consider sending your donation via PayPal at TwoHeadedNerd.com. While you're there, you can find links to our Twitter feed and our email, TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com, where you can send us your love slash hate mail or the comic that you would like to have us review. And you can keep your THN mascot art coming for the official THN mascot contest next week on the show. It really is a fifth week this yeah. month. And we are going to have a very special surprise guest star. Remember to follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page if you want to get in on the Question of the Week discussion. Matt, have you ever supported any Kickstarter projects? I supported the Cyberforce project. Hey. You know why? I love Striker. <laughs> love that, dude. I'm a huge fan of Velocity. <laughs> uh, I uh, threw some money at the uh, Penny Arcade guys. Well established, I know. Yeah, you don't have to worry about but, that. But uh, they are doing a thing where if they raise enough money they will go completely ad free oh cool for an entire year and use that space instead of running ads to do extra stuff they're fully funded they've got yeah, like oh, yeah. three hundred and twenty-four thousand dollars. penny arcade uh has like millions of readers if so. each one of you donated twenty five hundred dollars <laughs> to this show before we go our weekly shout out goes to the families of the victims of last night's shooting at the dark knight rises premiere in aurora colorado 
word to all of you, and our hearts go out to you and your community. We chose not to cover this story because it is in this reporter's opinion that other than stating the facts, there isn't much to be learned by analyzing the tragic actions of a madman with a gun. Until next time, true believers, this is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off.